0: Welcome to Episode 9 of the Echo Ever Proudly Podcast. I'm Brian Egan from the Class of 86. Uh, Dropping the episode a little bit earlier this week so that you can really get fired up for the big game this weekend. Before we get going, big thanks to all of you who helped us set a new listening record last week. Episode 8 found its way to Gonzaga family members' ears just like yours in 31 states, the District of Columbia, and another five countries around the globe. England, France, Aruba, India, and the Dominican Republic. So thank you for spreading the word and sharing the Echo Ever Proudly podcast with your friends and family who love Gonzaga. Jim Giller from the class of 62 had a nice phone call with him reacting to episode eight. So thank you, Jim. And Tom Kettler, parent of a Gonzaga graduate, Michael Kettler of the class of 2005. Thanks for the nice five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Now this podcast is still very new and is each of you discovered, I want you to know the order in which we're telling these stories is not based on importance. It's really more calculated to try to have them line up whenever possible to what's actually happening on campus today. We still have a lot of stories to tell, lots of heroes, history to get to between now and the end of season one in May. So expect maybe 35 episodes this season. Yeah, we've got a lot of stuff in store. All right, let's get to Episode 9, Part 2 of our Go Gonzaga, Beat St. John Stories. COVID upended a lot of things in 2020, and a year ago, no one was having reunions. As a result, this weekend on I-Street, both the Class of 1970 and 71 will gather for their 50th Jubilee Reunion Celebrations. Now, if you attended Gonzaga, or really any school, you likely experienced the healthy competition between the juniors and seniors. At Gonzaga, you would rarely see the juniors actually get the better of the seniors. But in the fall of 1969, that's just what happened. And it happened in the lead-up to the Gonzaga-St. John's football game. This is the story of the night of November 11th, 1969. And how a group of juniors with some science, stealth, and salesmanship upstaged the seniors by turning the Washington Monument purple and white. Time to welcome four members from the class of 71 Tom Donahoe, Larry Vagnoni, Dennis Orsborne, and Larry Haney.
1: Larry, this is just exactly how I pictured you. A
2: little different than in high school. You weren't yeah. as professorial in high school as you are now. <laughs> Well, I also had some pigment in my hair.
1: At least you have hair. Hey, there you go.
0: <laughs> Larry, this whole thing doesn't happen without the incredible creativity of the late Mark Smith from the class of 71. That's right. So yeah, this
2: was this was Mark Steele. His older brother, who'd also been a Gonzaga student, was the one who came up with the idea originally. But Mark is the one who picked it up and ran with it. The uh, The school had a tradition of doing something to get publicity before the big game. It was always the seniors who did this. You know, there there was always a certain amount of competition between juniors and seniors. And so when Mark came up with this idea that would allow the juniors to show up the seniors, (laughs) we went for it.
0: Now, Dennis, at what stage of the process do you get involved? I was brought in late. I got a call from
1: my friend, Steve Belcher, who was in our class. I rode down with him. That morning, he had called me a night or two before and asked me if I wanted to be in on a, on a caper. I did not know what it was until I started
0: walking up that driveway. <laughs> That's how the guys uh, kept the secret. Larry Vagnoni, you're up next. What did Mark Smith have you in charge of? Mark drafted me. It was all about who had cars and who didn't at the time and a couple other guys
3: in my car to drive up to the monument in advance. We had to measure the boxes because we had to build frames over them. That's how we were able to determine we needed 135 square feet of this to cover two lights on opposing sides. And then Mark being in the theater club and worked the theater lights, was actually a purple celluloid film on 12 inch rolls.
2: And the only way we could get that much was to buy it from, from England. So it had to be planned out. We had to get the measurements of the lights. We had to raise the money and get it to England and have this stuff shipped to us in time before the game.
0: I'm sensing this story has layers to it. We're getting into some of the technical aspects of it. But first, let's take a step back. Does the administration, does the school know what's happening, that this is being planned? Yes, but no. (laughs)
2: So you can't just walk up to the Washington Monument and start covering the lights with purple celluloid. They're not going to let you do it. You've got to have permission, right? Mark Smith was creative. The way to get permission to do this, and he dreamed up this idea that we were going to be doing a science experiment.
3: Yeah, I, I think it was the effect of casting light through a semi semi-permeal membrane on a white object.
2: So he not only convinced the school administration to the point that Father Keating, the headmaster, gave us 15 bucks against the $300 total cost, He convinced the Park Service that this was a legitimate project and that something that they should support. Gonzaga at the time, and I imagine still does have a reputation of doing extremely well in the D.C. Science Fair. So we had letters of permission that we could take with us to the monument, show them what we were doing. Everything was all prepared in advance. They just didn't really quite understand what it was that was going on.
0: Now, Larry, I heard that the Department of the Interior wasn't going to give you guys permission to pull off the science fair project unless there was a signature from someone with the school's administration who vouched for you guys.
2: George Minor, who is the assistant headmaster. And our math teacher <laughs>
3: for many of us.
2: In theory, George accepted that this was a science fair project. My guess is that he figured this out from the very beginning and just decided that, you know, there isn't going to be any damage done. This is a hell of a scam that they're pulling off here. You know, we've got to let him give it a shot, see what happens.
3: Great <laughs> guy. And Mr. Miner's a Gonzaga graduate, so we knew we had him on the emotional side of it
0: too. George Minor from the class of 62 also had an important role the night of November 11th, 1969 we 'll get to that in a second but once you do get permission what's the next hurdle to overcome the big
3: fear was a bunch of kids shipping money to England and like it's not we're sending it to New York City if, if our money went to England and they'd never sent us anything what were we going to do there was a lot of guys saying how are you how do you guys sure we can I mean it was before Amazon so of the guys were like <laughs> you're sending money overseas and how do we know they're actually going to send us anything there was a lot of guys just questioning as they forked over the money but it sounded too good to uh to, to
0: turn down. Well, the money was well spent. The package arrives from England. What is that day like? Do you guys remember? Whose house did it end up being delivered to?
3: We think it went to Mark's house. Yeah, I mean, he had an older brother, Michael, who gave him the idea. I think that there's something that had been talked about at the at the dinner table at the Smith home probably for a while. So I think it went to Mark's house. It was the next day he comes to school and announces it. And I think that's when we it was in his locker. And then we were like, okay, we've got the stuff.
0: Let's go. It's got to get really exciting at this point. The special heat-resistant purple celluloid arrives from England. You guys have already done your measurements. You know how big you have to build whatever you're going to sit on top of the floodlights there at the Washington Monument. How's that process go? Those things were assembled in the Gonzaga driveway. By the bell tower. By the bell tower.
1: When I walked up the driveway that day, I was... Gonna find out my assignment in all of this. When I got to the top of the driveway, Larry Haney and Mark Smith, Brian Wrights walked up with me. They kind of welcomed me aboard. Pete Muskowski, George Hanvey, and Larry Vignoni here, and Brian Wrights all over these things, uh, nailing and taping and stapling and everything else. And th- these were
3: on hinges. They folded. Then we had the process of moving frames the size of those big boxes of lights in vehicles. Obviously, two different cars used, but I I think there might have even been a a U-Haul-sized truck available to them or whatnot that showed up. One thing that
1: was hardly discussed among uh, the the planners and the builders, and that was the heat of those lights. Gee whiz, who are we going to get to go down there and fold the first one on? I didn't even know that it was going to be my role until we were on our way up. I took off my jacket, took off my shirt, I was down to my T-shirt, and everything went well. I'm sure a couple of them were saying on the way, Orsborne didn't get burned up, we're good to know. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the guys all smiled and uh, beat the side of the of the white stanchion. I maintained my post there. Uh, <laughs> everybody wanted to get around to the other side and uh, ran around to the capital side of the the monument to proceed. We were very
2: careful to not have any revelry begin for about the first 20, 25 oh, minutes yeah. because the Park Service cops were already starting to look at us kind of sideways with this. Uh, you know, where are all these kids coming from? How come there's so many of them? We were trying very, very hard first for this to be a junior's activity. And we know that once people started chanting that they were going to shut it down. So we are constantly saying, no, 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 no. Keep quiet. Keep it quiet. We just need to give it time. We've got to let people have time to see this. So, and it worked. I mean, there were, there were cars coming across the bridge from Virginia looking at the, this purple, white Washington monument. And they'd stop in the middle of the bridge to take photographs of it. <laughs> there were traffic jams People from people wanting to see this.
3: The big drum for, for all of our pep rallies Showed up at the uh, Washington Monument too that night, which <laughs> kind of gave us away. You know, <laughs> end, but not before we had 35, 40 minutes to ha- have the uh, the monument purple and white.
2: I've been told, and I don't know whether this is true or not, that there were flights coming into National. They still called it National Airport at the time from the north down the river. Yeah, down the going river. past the the monument and. And swerving out of their usual flight paths so that everybody on the plane could see the purple monument.
0: (laughs) Now, in addition to the famous picture that was taken by the assistant headmaster at the time, George Minor, from the class of 62, there was also some press coverage, right, Larry? There was a, a, a reporter there, and I know that because I, I called them. Smart. This is where I don't know if they give you enough credit for what you truly learn at Gonzaga. You, you, don't, <laughs> you, you don't set up a stunt if you don't have a way to let everybody know that you successfully pulled it off. So, genius move, Larry. The original
2: article, which came out on November 15th, Saturday, didn't have a photograph of the Purple Monument. It had just a stock photograph of the monument. And then uh, a photograph of Mark and Brian Wrights and Charlie Carey working on the, the big frames and putting on the, the gel. And then a photograph also, some of people, and I'm not sure who they were, maybe seniors, at the Lincoln Memorial, holding up a sign or a couple of bed sheets painted, Abe says beat St. John's.
0: Now, if you heard me mention the name Tom Donahoe from the class of 71 at the outset of this visit, yes, he's been patiently waiting to share his part of the story of November 11th, 1969.
4: Yeah. So Jamie Connolly and I came by and basically Mark Smith, who was overseeing everything, and Larry too, just said, we've got enough people here. And so I said to Jamie, let's go. We've got paint. Let's go to the 14th Street Bridge the railroad bridge, not thinking of the roadway bridge, and paint Go, Gonzaga, beat St. John's.
0: In that moment, Tom and Jamie were carrying on a tradition that had started all the way back in the fall of 1961 when members of the class of 62 were the first to tag the shack above the 14th Street Bridge, where once stood the old tender control house. When you drive from Virginia into D.C. on the 14th Street Bridge and you look to the right, you see the railroad track, but the shack isn't there anymore. It was torn down in 1982, but not before some daredevil Gonzaga students and members of the Georgetown University crew program would paint their messages and then get them painted over by railroad company officials. And then new messages would go up, like on the night of November 11, 1969, when once again anyone traveling across the 14th Street Bridge who glanced to their right would see the message, Go Gonzaga, beat St. John's.
4: Danny Costello, he asked me not to describe too much about what we did, not to give ideas to future juniors and seniors at Gonzaga so they could possibly be in danger trying to walk out on a railroad bridge. I'm not going any farther than that, other than we painted it and said, go Gonzaga, speed St. John's.
0: That image of Gonzaga graffiti inspired a local artist who wasn't connected to the school in any way to paint a watercolor print called the Exhortation that featured prominently that bridge and the sign that said, Go Gonzaga, Beat St. John's. Tom, as you carried on that tradition for the class of 71, when that print came out, did you get a sense of pride?
4: Oh, definitely, definitely. And it was just a print. It was a print that you could yeah. buy showing on that bridge. And, I, and so we kind of say, you know, we did it. Yeah, we did a- it.
0: Dennis, do you also get a little bit of a buzz thinking about that night of November 11th, 1969? I mean, you guys are getting ready to get together for your 50th reunion this weekend. What goes through your head when you think about the Monument Caper? To tell the truth, after the initial uh,
1: couple of weeks, I didn't think too much about it anymore until my son decided to go to the school. And what year did he graduate? 2002. Okay. His, His name's Mark he went out for football and he was on the freshman football team at the time. And he came home, told me this exciting thing that happened during the time I was at Gonzaga that, that, that the monument was turned purple. And he asked me because I never talked about it. He asked me if I knew the, you know, some of the people that did that. I said, well, yes, yes, I do. Um, some are friends of mine and, uh, I said, by the way, uh, you know somebody too. And his eyes just got that wide. (laughs) He asked the question, you were involved in this? I said, yes. He immediately, the next day, went back to school and told guys about it. For his four years there, he was was the son
0: of royalty. So he was a made (laughs) guy after that. (laughs) Now, if the seniors were the ones who had the banner saying, Abe says beat St. John's, but you guys turned the monument purple and are able to tag the old tender house on top of the 14th Street Railroad Bridge. You kind of showed up the class of 70. Were there any discussions about that afterwards?
2: The seniors never forgave
4: us. No. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you stole their thunder.
3: i pulled mark real quick afterwards. Yes, uh, I did. There's There's a little kissing of the seal and then it was all water under the bridge, I think.
0: The class of 71 got it done. It started with the late Mark Smith. And Larry, how do you feel about this? It's almost exactly 52 years to the day next week that it took place.
2: My one regret with all of this was that they wouldn't give us a copy of the letter complaining about this stunt that was sent to Father Keating, the headmaster, by Spiro Agnew.
0: Vice President Spiro Agnew? <laughs> yes. Oh. Complaining
2: that we misused the united states government for our own personal
0: benefits
3: i think there were like three letters one from the u.s park police superintendent one from the department of the interior and and then finally from Agnew.
0: there is a letter that was dated november 18th 1969 from william failer the u.s department of interior superintendent addressed to the gonzaga headmaster that said it is with regret that I find it necessary to express my deep concern and dissatisfaction regarding the football game promotional activities conducted by Gonzaga students and teachers at two of the nation's major presidential memorials. You can read more about that in Michael Farquhar, class of 82, who includes that story in his 2005 book called A Treasury of Deception. Now, Mark Smith of the class of 71 passed away a few years ago And at his memorial service, his brothers, Michael from the class of 64 and Matt from the class of 78, handed out postcards bearing George Minor's photo of the purple and white Washington Monument. The Smith brothers shared that the memory of this stunt was but a reflection of their brother's lifelong gratitude to Gonzaga, which blessed him with an excellent education and lifelong friendships. What's something about Mark Smith, Larry Haney, that anyone is listening right now who never knew Mark needs to know about Mark as a person?
2: Mark could sell a refrigerator to a polar bear. It was clear to me from the outset that I did not have Mark's ability to convince people of outrageous things. Uh, he was one of a
3: kind. He really was. I agree with that. What people forget is that just at the end of our sophomore year, Martin Luther King had been assassinated and the city had broke down into riots. We lost probably a couple dozen of our classmates from parents who pulled their kids out after sophomore year for fear of coming back. So the school was at a fragile period of time. And, you know, it, it was it was a time where you needed a unifying event that everybody kind of rallied around and could stand up and hold their heads up with. And, and you know, Mark didn't plan any of that, but he took advantage of it because it was the right place, the
0: right time situation for him. What a great legacy for the late Mark Smith. Now, when you guys would drive by over the last 40 or 50 years, any of these areas down on the mall, are you always thinking about that night? Looking back, when we all kind of went off after that, interestingly enough, I ended up going
3: to Fairfield University and then getting a master's in counseling and community services. And when I came back, I ended up being a uh, director of, of a halfway house for boys in Montgomery County. As a counselor, we take them down to the mall, play night tag, you know, run around uh, you know, around the, the monuments, and especially down by the Reflecting Pond and the, and the Vietnam Memorial. There were things that we grew up with that we took for granted that a lot of kids don't see. My, sure. my My son's a class of '97. Uh, he grew up in Annapolis, so I would take him on his birthday with his friends to play night tag down at the mall. We used to play football on the field before the garage. It got redone with the garage. You know, there was so much light at night, we would just be playing football downtown. These kids are in their 40s now, some of them send you know notes on Facebook. When it was really cool when we were kids, being able to go to downtown Washington and see the city the way you guys saw it. So. There's a lot of of pride I think it takes in in being a part of the Gonzaga family and gives you the ability to just solve problems. And you don't solve all your problems, but you know that life is the continual process of solving problems. If you're not solving problems, you better check your pulse. You're probably dead. And I think that's what the the priest drummed into us while we were there.
4: And Brian, one last tidbit. In Rowan Park, the Jesuits have a retirement home. Larry Vagnoni and three or four other fellows, we would pretty much once a year go visit Retired Father Lilly and we'd have lunch with him, and it was it was just precious. well we okay. did this, and he was kind of losing his hearing and so sure. forth. It, and it was it was good that we stuck together like that.
0: Did you all take Father Lilly in the same class or at different times? Sophomore year, we yeah. different classes, but we were all biology. Our year was biology yeah. the whole year. Yeah, the late Father Ray Lilly. I don't know what the final count was of how many weddings he performed for former Gonzaga students, but uh, it was a ton. Well, listen, he did a lot of, lot of marriages, believe me. You guys are returning to I Street this weekend for your 50th Jubilee reunion. It looks a lot different than it did in 1971. Not only is there a Buchanan field, there's there's actually a Buchanan field where you won't break your ankle in the end zone. Does it give you a sense of pride at how it looks now? I mean, Brian, we were told as as,
3: as uh, 13-year-olds that there was going to be a football field while we were there. So when we'll they make promises <laughs> for the future. We got boys like... Let's wait and see if they really mean it this time. You know? right.
1: One of our reunions uh, was in, in in the gym shortly after it was
0: built.
4: We had some good reunions down there. And Pete Quimby, who just sent me a text, you know, said, say hi to everybody.
0: Well, I hope you guys have a wonderful reunion this weekend. Look out for the class of 70. They're going to be hanging around Ice Street too. But Tom, Larry, Larry, Dennis, thank you so much for your time and for sharing the story of the monument turning purple and white. Thanks, Brian.
2: Um, Thanks, Brian. Great, time,
0: Brian. great to see all of you. See ya. That puts a wrap on a monumental Episode 9 of the Echo Ever Proudly podcast. Next week, Gonzaga's hockey program gets back underway after losing a season to COVID with the Dominic Petty Class of 15 Memorial Purple and White Game. It'll take place at 4 o'clock at Fort DuPont Ice Arena on Thursday, 11-11, November 11th. Why 11-11? That was the number that Dinger wore. Dominic Petty's nickname and the number Gonzaga retired after the tragic Halloween night car accident on the Beltway that took his life. School will be out on Thursday the 11th for the Federal Veterans Day holiday. Now we want to make sure it is a packed house at Fort DuPont on Thursday, so look for this episode to show up a little earlier than usual. It'll be there Wednesday morning for you to check out. Our guests for this very special episode include Gonzaga Athletic Director Joe Rada, Eric Bovin from the class of 94, who was part of the early hockey teams, and recent Gonzaga hockey coach Bill Slater, as well as Bill's son, Ridge Slater, from the class of 15. Ridge was very close with Dom. He'll share his memories of the player and the person that Dominic Petty was. And he had this to say about how he believes in 2014, Dom gave Gonzaga a lift against St. John's just a few days after the tragic accident. The game was played over
3: in Blair and Silver Spring. You know, everyone wanted to go. You know, Dom loved going to cheer on other teams. He loved doing all these things. And that was kind of the way that we got up and out of the house. It was like, okay, Dom loved doing this. Let's go do this. Um, Not necessarily for him, but with him and just kind of um, have him there with us. It was the third quarter. It was fourth and goal for St. John's. We were down 11 points. The clock stopped at 11-11, and then we stopped them and came back and won the game. So that was a pretty wild story that happened. There was plenty of other kind of weird stories like that, but that one always sticks out to me as, like, a God is with us, and so is Dom.
0: Who knows? Maybe there'll be some members of this year's football team that'll find a little lift from Dom and maybe some of those reunion classes as well, as we'll all be cheering for them to go Gonzaga, beat St. John's. Once again, thank you so much for checking out the Echo Ever Proudly Podcast. Be sure to drop a 5-star rating or maybe write a review like my mom did. Thank you, mom. You can do that at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. Just keep following, subscribing and sharing with anyone who you know loves Gonzaga. Until next time, ad maiorem Dei gloriam and hail Gonzaga.
4: And you know what? <laughs>